God, I don't want to say let's close in prayer. <laughs> but we must attend to God's word. If you will, please turn in there to Luke chapter 1. Thank you, music team, for leading us in worship and drawing us to the throne above and what Christ has done for us. As you are turning to Luke chapter 1, I'd like to make an announcement now. Of course, Christmas time is about good news. We're talking about the good news that Christ, our Savior, has been born. But there's some other good news I want to share with you. You know, every week we give you a prayer guide in your bulletin. And we've been praying, this Cornerstone has been praying this way since its founding. And every week and every month, we see uh, prayer requests answered. We see God answering prayer by healing and by using ministries that we pray for and all kind of things. And we've also prayed for our church. And one of the things we've been praying for is an assistant pastor. And so over this past year, your session has been involved in an extensive search to hire a man to come alongside and serve our congregation as an assistant pastor and pastor to our families. And so God has answered a prayer, and he has raised up a man. And that man's name is Brian Russ. Brian and I go way back to college together where we worked at Alpine Camp for Boys in Mentone, Alabama, an hour and a half east of here. And little did I know, almost 20 years later, I'd be calling him and saying, hey, would you like to come be a part of what God is doing at Cornerstone? Brian Russ has been an assistant pastor at Arden Presbyterian Church in Arden, South Car North Carolina. Uh, Arden is just south of Asheville, so it's a suburb of Asheville. He and his wife, Audrey, have four children, three girls and a boy, and so they'll fit in magically at this church with that number. <laughs> Very excited for them. Please pray for their family, the Russes, Brian and Audrey Russ. Write that name down. We did not announce that yet until now or put that in your bulletin because he's telling his congregation uh, this morning as well. Brian has faithfully served at that church for 10 years, and so we're very thankful for him to come and serve alongside of us and be praying for them as their families. They'll be moving away from their close family that's in the North Carolina and South Carolina region, and they will be making their transition here toward the end of January. So we're excited for them. Uh, please be in prayer for them, and we'll get some more uh, announcements regarding that out uh, this week. Thank you. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80, we now come to the second song of Christmas, Zechariah's song. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness 
and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child, that is John the Baptist, the young child, grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your God-breathed word to us. We thank you that all scripture is profitable to teach us, to rebuke us, to train us in righteousness. And so train us in righteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may notice we have some angels on the walls. I hope you noticed. We're not worshiping this morning, but they are symbols to us at Christmas time of the great announcement that came to all the people, all the characters of Christmas. And so I'd like for you to think about something for a minute. What would you do? What would you do if an angel of the Lord one day came to you and announced to you that something unbelievable was going to happen to you, something incredible, something you literally could not believe or understand with your ears, what would you say to that angel? Would you say, that's great? Or would you say, get out of town? (laughs) You're pulling my leg. Quit messing with me or something like that. What would you say if something like this happened to you? Well, Zechariah, our character here at Christmas, the father of John the Baptist, had such an experience happen to him. One day he was literally minding his own business as a priest in the temple of the Lord, and an angel came to him and told him that something incredible, something amazing was going to happen to him and to his wife, Elizabeth. So let's read about that account. If you'll turn back a little bit in chapter 1, chapter 1's huge, 80 verses. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 23 kind of tell us about this account. So Luke is an historian giving us a very detailed account of Christmas, and we thank you that his dear friend Theophilus had all these questions so that we could learn about Christmas. And in verse 5, we read this. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Ahab, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Luke was being very kind here. He didn't ask them their age. 
Most scholars believe they were in their 70s or 80s. Think about that, 70s or 80s, no child. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So just to explain to you what's going on here, Zechariah was a Levite. He was part of the priesthood. There were something like 24 divisions of priests who year after year would take care of the priestly duties of the temple. And so his division was on duty. And so by chance, he won the lottery. Zechariah, you get to go into the holy place and to burn the incense. And so this was his job. Verse 10. The whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I mean, what if an angel came to you and said, by the way, your son is going to be awesome. You know, not only is he going to be the quarterback, (laughs) you know, he's going to be compared to Elijah. Okay, so Elijah was, you know, the Peyton Manning, the Tom Brady of the priesthood, okay, of the prophets. There you go. For you football fans, non-football fans, maybe the Martha Stewart of the cooking world, I don't, I don't know, go, go somewhere else. And Zechariah said to the angel, what was he going to say? That's amazing. No. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. (laughs) I get the senior citizen discount at Wendy's. And an angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. I mean, what did the old man do? Did he fall down? I mean, was he hurt? What was going on? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and remained mute. He couldn't talk. And when the time of his service was ended, he went to his home. Instead of Zechariah proclaiming to Gabriel, that's great. 
praise the Lord. I cannot believe that that's going to happen to me and to my wife, Elizabeth. He did what so many of us do. He doubted. And he questioned the promises of God. And so for four months, he would be unable to speak. Well, from this point, nine months. He would be mute. I mean, imagine one day talking. I mean, I'm a pastor, okay? So part of my job is talking. (laughs) He was a priest. He did a lot of talking and teaching himself and could not talk. He was completely mute, unable to speak, all because he did not believe the word of God that was spoken to him. The promise was was right there in front of Zechariah. It was given to him by the angel Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of God, the one who himself had plenty of of glory and all. He's he's a scary, glorious angel because Zechariah was scared of him. And he stands in the presence of God. He was sent to Zechariah to bring the good news. And Zechariah did not believe. Would you have believed the angel? Would you have believed this good news? We're talking about Christmas here. Do you believe the good news of Christmas? Flip ahead with me into verse 55. So, excuse me, verse 57 in Luke chapter 1. It is now time for Elizabeth to give birth. For nine months, Zechariah was unable to speak. And so when you're unable to speak, I guess you do a lot of watching and a lot of thinking. And he's probably thinking, oh, she really is pregnant. This is going to happen. Let's see what happens. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the 80th, I'm sorry, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. Okay, so... We don't circumcise anymore. We baptize, and we don't do it on eighth day. We give a little more time for that. And so at that time, the father, as custom, would name the child. But remember, the father can't speak. And so he had obviously wrote in the sand or something to communicate to Elizabeth what, what was going on. In verse 61, the neighbors and relatives said, none of your relatives is called by this name. Okay, so think about that for a minute in the, in the good south. We name a lot of our children, and all of us have family names. Every single one of my children is connected to some family name. That's custom. That's an ancient custom. And, you know, this is not Zach Jr. (laughs) He's now John. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. So I envision one of those magic slate pads, you know. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered 
And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Verses 67 through 80, his words of blessing. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was upon him. Zechariah doubted God's promises, so therefore his punishment, his discipline for doubting the Lord was to not be able to speak until all the things that the angel Gabriel told him came to pass. Well, now these things have come to pass. Zechariah followed the instructions given to him by the Lord, and he named the child John. And as soon as he communicated that this is what his son was to be named by the father, all the people were baffled at this connection that was being made here because the name had nothing to do with Zechariah and Elizabeth's family. But think about this. Zechariah had nine months, nine months, almost a year, to think about, to contemplate what obedience would look like in order to speak again. Nine months to think about, you know, if I get another shot at this, (laughs) I'd like to be able to speak again. What would you do with nine months unable to speak, unable to talk, but to only think about what obedience to the Lord God would look like. Would you praise God? Would you think about following him, loving him, believing him? Or would you be bitter and sulk and just hide? Well, I can't talk. I guess you couldn't even say that. You couldn't even <laughs> sulk. And now that Zechariah's tongue was loosed, he was able to speak, and the first words that came from his mouth was praise. Praise to God to bless him for the salvation that comes to us at Christmas time. And Zechariah would break forth in song. Christmas should cause us to sing. Singing is the soul's response to the good news of Christmas. And so the second song in our songs of Christmas is Zechariah's song, often called the Benedictus, known for its popular title from the first word in Latin, commonly recited in the ancient church. The words of the Benedictus aptly express the the high praise that is due to God because of the knowledge of salvation that will be brought to us through this future prophet of the Most High. Zechariah, your son, is going to be the prophet of the Most High God who will be born to you very soon. And so what lessons do we learn about Christmas from Zechariah's song? If you're taking notes, here are your three lessons of Christmas from Zechariah's song. Christmas is about praise. 
Christmas is about praise. Christmas is about promise. There are wonderful promises to us at Christmas, and Christmas is about privilege. What are the privileges that we enjoy at Christmas? Praise, promise, privilege. The first, Christmas is about praise. Look at verse 68. What is the very first word that comes out of a man who was unable to speak for nine months? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Praise. Praise is the first and foremost response to salvation. Why do we keep saying that? I mean, we're talking about, he's talking about his son, right? Isn't he talking about John the Baptist? I mean, why is he praising God so much for his son? No, he's praising God for the salvation that he knows his son gets to be the forerunner to deliver. That is what the angel Gabriel told to him. And so not only did he have nine months to think about his obedience to the Lord, he also had nine months to meditate on the good news, on the gospel that was delivered to him, that his son, John the Baptist, would have a huge role in. I mean, all of our children, all your children know who John the Baptist is, that wild man who eats locust and honey and dresses crazy, who came to make the way known for the Savior. And as soon as Zechariah's speech was restored to him, the very first words that come from his mouth is praise. Praise. Christmas is about praise. Zechariah's words of praise would first and foremost not to be give, give praise to his son or for his son, John, but would be to give praise to the son of David, the son of God. Try to put yourself in Zechariah's position. Think about what it would have been like to be a priest in Israel for all those years. You're a devout Jew. You know the promises of God. You even teach the promises of God. And now the oldest promise in biblical history, the greatest promise that was ever given to God's people, that a Savior, a snake crusher, would be born of a woman to save the world. And now that promise is being fulfilled through your own family. Think about that. Because I'm afraid at Christmas time, we often forget what it means, or even worse, we even ignore what Christmas is all about. We get lost in presents and parties and decorating and shopping and Santa Claus and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Terrific Tuesday, whatever we're inventing this year. And we forget that we're celebrating the most important birthday in the entire history of the world. Let's not forget to praise. Zechariah's words are spot on in regards to the good news of Jesus' birth. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has redeemed His people and He has brought salvation through the long-awaited birth of David's greater son. And so at Christmas time, at Christmas time, let us learn, let us practice the example of Zechariah by being more thankful, 
more joyful, more in awe of what God has done. Is about praise. Secondly, Christmas is about promise. If you look down there through 69 through 75 verses in Luke chapter 1, you see that Zechariah's song is an exposition of all the awesome promises made to Abraham and to David and to God's promises. Zechariah is making the connection here. His song is not only a song of praise, but it's teaching us. It's showing us, look at how the wonderful promises of God are all connected. Because we oftentimes like to think that these Old Testament believers, you know, these, these Jewish folk, you know, they're real different from us New Testament people. I mean, they, they don't have it as good, right? I mean, their, their faith was different we must not forget that they too had to trust Yahweh their God by faith and rely solely upon His grace for their salvation. They too had to trust God. Yet Old Testament saints were constantly looking forward, constantly hoping that the promised Messiah would one day come in the flesh. Save them. Zechariah knew these promises. He loved these promises. Again, he taught these promises and he embraced these promises now. And now the promises were being fulfilled in his own son, who would be a huge forerunner to the promise. Think about that. Your son, Zechariah, gets to announce, gets to scream out in the wilderness. The promises are true. They are now being fulfilled in your very presence. Christmas is about promise. It's about the assurance. It's about the declaration that God will do what he said he would do. He will save his people. And so as J.C. Ryle says, let us learn to rest on promises and embrace them as Zechariah did. Let's embrace the promises at Christmas. You know, just believe. Just believe. That's a, a mantra that is recited over and over and over at Christmas time. And it usually points to Santa Claus or just to some kind of blind hope and just believe. But that is not where we look to hope. Nor do we look to ourselves, nor do we just believe in ourselves. We look to Jesus, and we believe in him. We believe in the promises that God will save us, that a child will be born who is God, that a child has been born who will make all things new, that he died and rose again, and that he will come back. That is what we believe. That is where our hope is. And so finally, Christmas is about privilege. Have you thought about the privileges that we have because of Christmas? John the Baptist was born for a purpose. He had a mission. He would be a prophet. The Bible says he would be the greatest prophet because he would have the most important job in history. He would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Christ. 
And he would do all of this, as we would read in Luke chapter 3, by going into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is what John the Baptist would proclaim as Jesus was preparing for his earthly ministry. This is what John was born to do. Look in verse 76. Zechariah does mention his son after he praises God. And you, child, he doesn't say, you're going to be the best athlete on the team and I'm going to just do everything for you. No. You're going to be a prophet of the Most High God and you're going to be singularly devoted to him and to preparing his way. What wonderful news. And with this knowledge comes wonderful privileges. What are the wonderful privileges that come with the knowledge of salvation? Look in verse 77. John the Baptist would come to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. Because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Forgiveness of sins. Light. Peace. Those are the privileges of Christmas. Forgiveness. Light. Peace. Have you meditated on these wonderful privileges of Christmas? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you experienced the sunrise of God's grace shining into your heart? Has the light of the gospel breaking forth into the darkness in your life? Do you know the peace of God? Again, J.C. Ryle reminds us, let us never rest. Let us never rest till we are experimentally acquainted with the wonderful privileges of the gospel. Let us never rest until we are thinking of these things and meditating on them and, and being thankful for them. Forgiveness, light, peace. Christmas is good news and great joy. Our sins can be forgiven. We can now live in the light and no longer be scared of the darkness. And we can know the way of peace. That soul rest that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so this Christmas, this Christmas, will you praise God for the salvation that comes to you through the incarnation? God becoming flesh. This Christmas, will you hold on to the precious promises of God? Will you grip them with your heart and with your mind and with your worship? This Christmas, will you rejoice in the wonderful gospel privileges that come to us? 
forgiveness of sins, light to the darkness, peace, peace, that wonderful nature of our salvation. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you do these things this Christmas? Will you meditate on them? Will you know them? Will you love them? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Oh, Father, use your word. Use these promises. Use these songs that we sing, these prayers that we pray. This time that we come week after week to gather together as your people to worship you. Would you use all of them to remind us of the gospel that comes to us at Christmas. We praise you and thank you for all of your promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we praise you and we thank you for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. For the light of the world that he is. For the grace and peace that we now experience through him. Let us not Let us not doubt. Let us believe. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.